Thank you, Roshan. Thank you for this uh, opportunity. And I would like uh, also thank the CCIS that gave me the opportunity to write this book in, in 20, 2014. I, been, I, I was a beneficiary of a grant from uh, Carnegie and I took the opportunity to write this book. Uh, this book addresses the issue of the failure of radical Arab uh, nationalism and the emergence of political Islam in Arab uh, countries with the idea that uh, Arab nationalism, as uh, embodied by uh, Nasser, Boumediene, uh, Assad, uh, the father, was uh, aiming at uh, modernizing Arab societies and the failure of this uh, aim, of this goal, was the, the origin of political Islam. So political Islam didn't come from uh, nothingness. It's, it's rooted in, in culture and the history of Muslim societies. What I wanted to show is that political Islam belongs to a period of time, a historical phase, and it will, it will secularize after some decades of violence and conflicts. Before expanding uh, on this, I would like to emphasize that uh, Arab societies gave birth during the last century to uh, ideological movements with strong popular mobilization. Radical nationalism and political Islam are ultimately twins and rivals. I will uh, start with uh, radical Arab nationalism to shed light on uh, its uh, origins and its failure. Arab nationalism has its origin in the second half of the 19th century and it was born first against the Ottoman administration and it was encouraged by uh, the European powers, Great Britain and France. These two powers were interested by the decline of the Ottoman Empire to take over of this region. This region was important at that time because of the canal of the Suez. The, the, the nationalist idea at the beginning were influenced by the liberal values of Europe. Uh, at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of, of the 20th century, the idea was for this uh, nationalist elite to a modernized society and to build a modern state as the one in Europe. So it was liberal. But after the Saïd-Caspico agreement, these liberal values lost credibility because it was precisely coming from France and, and England. And since the elite and a big part of the middle classes felt betrayed by the agreement, the Cyclespico agreement, uh, after uh, World War I, we witnessed a kind of radicalization of political thought in, in Egypt, 
and mainly in uh, Syria, I mean the great uh, Syria, with uh, uh, thinkers as uh, Aflaq uh, and so on and so on. So there was a kind of uh, hostility against uh, liberal uh, values and uh, attraction from uh, the culturalist idea in Germany. And after World War II, this trend uh, was uh, again more radicalized and it, it spread uh, over middle classes and also the, the military. The young officers felt uh, that uh, they have a mission to put an end to first the colonial domination, colonial or neo-colonial domination, and second to social injustice. So uh, this was catalyzed by the creation of Israel in 1948, and hence uh, we had uh, in 1952 the coup in Egypt, followed by other coups in Syria, in Iraq, in Algeria, and so and so. So there was a kind of militarization of political hopes, of uh, political expectation for modernization and for historical reasons, it was the army, the military, who endowed themselves with the task of implementing uh, modernization. I, I, I would say that this uh, militarization of politics was uh, welcomed by the majority of the population since in the 50s and 60s, these uh, military regimes were very popular. They were popular because they were promising uh, uh, economic development, modernization of culture, uh, and uh, they, 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 they expressed the, the expectations of the majority of the population to have, uh, first, a better life, and second, to uh, fill the gap with uh, Europe in economic and uh, military, military uh, disponibilities. There is a, a question, and it's the reason why I was interested to do research on these topics. There was a, a genuine uh, project or, or willingness, a genuine willingness to modernize. There was a popular support, but we know the result. The result, as we know, in Algeria, in uh, Egypt, in Iraq, uh, it's the, 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 the failure of the economy. And the failure started in the 60s in Egypt uh, and the 70s. Perhaps in the, in the debate you will ask me, what about the monarchies? I didn't, I didn't uh, deal with monarchies because the monarchies uh, in Saudi Arabia, in Morocco, uh, uh, in Iraq before 1958, they didn't promise national uh, independence, modernization, uh, progress. They didn't uh, promise. The, they, they were concerned just by their survival. So the military regime of the nationalist regime like uh, that of Nasser, Boumedien, Assad, so why they failed? It's the, the, the question addressed in my, my book. So they failed, uh, 
I am I am I am uh, putting in the four three three elements that could uh, nurture the debate. I am not saying that I have the answer, uh, but I am just uh, bringing some element to the discussion of the failure of these regimes. The first uh, element I would like to put forward is that there, there, there was in these regimes a confusion between development between uh, economic development or economic indep independence and uh, autarky. The, the element I would like to, to, to emphasize is that there was an underestimation of the, the international economy, underestimation of the international price system. We can't develop, we can't develop outside the international price system. We develop only through an equilibrium of the trade balance, the, 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 the balance of the, the foreign trade. And because, because with the exception of the USA, there is no economy that can support uh, the deficit of uh, uh, balanced trade. Because the, the, the deficit of, uh, of the foreign uh, uh, trade would harm the currency, the money. And by harming the currency, there will be a loss of purchasing power. The, the, the currency will lose the, uh, the purchasing power. And it's what happened uh, in, in, in Egypt, in Algeria. And since the, 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 the currency uh, loses its, uh, its uh, purchasing power, so the, the, the income of uh, uh, the, the middle classes and the working class uh, will uh, diminish uh, uh, seriously. So why, why uh, this, uh, this uh, underestimation of uh, international price system? I think that this underestimation uh, has its origins in two elements. The first one is the use of economy as means for political legitimacy. The economy used as means of political legitimacy. The second origin is the denial of the autonomy of economic power in society. The, the denial, the refusal of economic power in society meant that the regime prevented the formation of a civil society in the sense that Hegel and Marx give to that concept. The second element is that uh, economic development was perceived as a uh, technical operation. 
technical operation. Uh, it was uh, as if uh, the gap, the gap with Europe, uh, was only a material and military gap. And these regimes precisely pretended to fill gap, to fill the, the gap. But what was missing is that to fill the gap, they 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 needed to allow the unions, because the unions, and by unions I mean independence of the unions, because there are unions in the, in the, in the uh, but they are under the control of the government. So it's not unions. The unions would have protected the uh, currency to uh, to lose uh, the, the, purchasing, the purchasing power. I mean, the unions could have protected the purchasing power. And the second uh, element, I mean, so they refused the unions, the autonomy of the unions, and they refused the independence of the judiciary. Without the independence of the judiciary, you will have corruption that will harm the, the, the economic uh, development. The third, the third uh, factor pertains to culture. I think that the biggest flaw of this regime is to have underestimated culture. Culture has world view. In, in, in school, of course, there was, there, there was a, a huge uh, schooling system that uh, millions of children uh, profited uh, from. But what was the content of the education? What was the content of uh, the, what was taught in, 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 in school in, in Egypt, in Algeria, was a mythic vision of the past. So th there was a kind of uh, just an extension of the, the traditional culture. And the second uh, element uh, uh, on uh, pertaining to culture, something have, has been missed and it's very, very important. Th this regime didn't give importance to theology. The need of a reform of theology is crucial in Arab societies. Because we like it or not, and uh, uh, it's not a polemic uh, issue. Theology today is that one of an Ash'ari and Ghazali, meaning it's a medieval theology. And, and if we, we think about it, if we think about it, it's because this regime did not, didn't reform theology that political Islam emerged. And what is political Islam? Political Islam is a synthesis between medieval theology and modern expectations. And it gives me the opportunity to uh, raise the issue of the second part of the, the, the book and of my talk, political Islam. Political Islam didn't come from nothingness. It is not a spontaneous generation. 
it belongs to history and culture of Muslim societies that are facing the contradictions of a modernization imposed from abroad in a geopolitical a global context hostile to uh, people or countries of third world. Political Islam expresses an anger, a revolt, but by uh, or through its uh, uh, intolerance and through its uh, uh, violence sometimes, it undermines the legitimacy of the, prote the, the protest it bears. In this perspective, political Islam, and I can elaborate more if, you, if I am asked to during the debate, the political Islam is the contradictory product of modernity. And, and, and I would like to say that as radical Arab nationalism, political Islam is a historical phase with its rise and decline. But fundamentally, political Islam is a process through which Arab societies are seeking to negotiate secularization, which is underway, even though we don't see it. But secularization in Arab societies is underway uh, in economy, in politics, and in many other aspects of social life. Religious consciousness is worried that society changed without Islam. And the big uh, problem uh, is that the Islamist doctrine, the Islamist doctrine, and when uh, I say the Islamist doctrine, I enter to uh, this doctrine coined by Maududi and Sayyid Qutb. So the Islamist doctrine, as coined by Maududi and Qutb, is intellectually and spiritually poor. The Islamist movement is trying today to overcome this poverty, as the case of the Wasat party in Egypt, the, 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 the Nahda party in, in, in Tunisia, uh, the JDP in Morocco, and, and so on. So, uh, Post-Islamism, it's, it's what uh, the, the American scholar Bayet uh, Asaf uh, calls post-Islamism. It's the, the attempt to adjust, to adjust the uh, religious consciousness to the uh, values of modernity as, uh, as uh, the gender of, of, of uh, the, the equality of gender. The equality of gender, we, we, we can't live out without it. We can't refuse it. It's not possible. And the equality of gender is underway in, Arab, in Muslim societies. And it is, it is, it is hoped by a majority of women in Muslim society, even though they have their own way to express it. So there are today more and more people who are looking for a new discourse on religion as the works of Muhammad Shahrur show it. It seems that society is more open today. I mean Arab society, is more open today to the idea that there, there could be different 
interpretations of Islam. It wasn't the case, it wasn't the case two or uh, two decades ago. I, I remember when I was uh, teaching uh, uh, in, in, uh, in or in Algeria uh, with my students, it was the 80s, the 90s. The, the, the idea is there is only one true Islam and we should respect this one true Islam. Now this idea is not, uh, doesn't have uh, any more uh, currency uh, among uh, the students and among uh, a majority of uh, people, at least in Algeria. But I would like to, to, to conclude, I would like uh, at this point to draw the attention on a theoretical and methodological aspect of our subject. What we call Islam is actually social groups with their expectations, misgivings, everyday social life concerns. Islam is not a sociological object. What is Islam? It's not an empirical object. Islam uh, for sociology doesn't exist. What exists, it's social groups. Social groups with a representation of values, ideological, religious, exist. From a sociological point of view, there is no such a thing as Islam or even society. Conversely, there are social groups and individuals with their contradictory expectations with their material and symbolic interests, experiencing a worldview that is not often consistent with the historical reality. But at the end of the day, these people, collectively or individually, they are defending their interests, symbolic or material, or, or they are defending what they think it is their interest. So I think that the macro-sociological approach doesn't help to grasp the sociological dynamics at work in Arab societies, and worse, it pushes toward a socialism. Arab countries are changing, Arab, Arab societies or Arab countries are changing, uh, and I think that uh, what we lack is fieldworks. Fieldworks. We need fieldworks implemented by researchers focusing on the native's point of view and not, not on their own values. If comprehensive fieldworks are implemented, we will realize that political Islam actually fills a void following the collapse of Sufism. Political Islam is a kind of secularization of Sufism as far as the Islamist utopia promises a perfect life on earth. Thank you. Hi, I'm Grace. I'm a freshman in the School of Foreign Service. And um, I'm majoring in culture and politics. So when you start, talked about how uh, the children especially in uh, Algeria, Egypt, and Iraq, are being taught um, a mythic version of the past. I was wondering what you think would be the most uh, effective education for them to be experiencing. Like, do you want them to be teaching 
um, like the new modern view of Arab society, or do you think it's important that they're focusing on the historic truths of their society? Um, it's it's a it's a it's a good question, and uh, it has a. Uh, Philosophical roots. I think that the the decline of uh, the great uh, Arab civilizations uh, goes back to the end of philosophy in the 12th century. And I think, and it's it's personal, and I understand if you don't accept it. I I think that the gap between uh, uh, Muslim countries and Europe started at the 16th, 17th century with Muslim countries, Muslim societies, missed the, the intellectual revolution in the 17th, in the 16th and 17th, uh, especially with Descartes and uh, Kant. So the culture uh, in our countries is still under the influence of the old theology. And uh, I think that uh, the program of uh, radical Arab nationalism, if it was revolutionary and progressist, uh, it would have uh, a large uh, program of uh, teaching philosophy, modern philosophy. And what we witnessed, uh, what we witnessed in uh, the 60s, uh, 50, the 50s and the 60s uh, at school, and uh, I, I, I am the product of this, uh, of this uh, school, uh, it's the decline, uh, more and more, of the teaching of the modern philosophy. The idea was to uh, teach uh, Muslim philosophy as if, and it's an essentialist view, as if uh, the, 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 the Europeans, they have their own philosophy, and we, we have our own philosophy. What was missing here is that Muslim philosophy was the continuation of uh, the Greek philosophy. And the Greek philosophy is, is not uh, relevant anymore after the discoveries of Galileo and Newton and uh, the, the birth of uh, the modern philosophy, uh, as I, I said, with uh, Descartes. And, uh, I think that the, 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 the weakness of uh, philosophy in, uh, in uh, Arab societies uh, is at the origin of the weakness of the influence of social sciences on culture, on the population. And uh, the, school the schools didn't teach modern philosophy and didn't prepare the, the, the ground for social sciences that are necessary to secularize social thought. Thank you very much for this, uh, Dr. Adi. Um, a question, you started and ended your talk uh, with this idea that uh, political Islam is a kind of a secularization, or it's part of a secularization movement, um, and, and that's really interesting and provocative. And so I want to kind of ask you about this, and you, you concluded by saying, we see, we find that political Islam fills a void following the collapse of Sufism, um, and so and it's kind of a secularization of Sufism, and so I've been thinking about that. But another aspect, I would think, and this is following on what you um, just said about philosophy, is 
Also, as I, as I think about the leaders of um, political Islam and Islamic movements, or just popular leaders of, um, like Amr Khalid in Egypt, or um, some of the others, um, is that so many of them were trained in the sciences, in the hard sciences, so they're engineers or um, you know, biologists or dentists or, or, or whatever, and they're not trained in either the humanities or the social science. And to me, there's a point about how people think, too, in, the, in there's very kind of concrete and, and more the sciences, as we know, want things to be sort of more black and white and are just comfortable with sort of fuzziness and lack of, um, you know, tangibles or, or, or uh, being, you know, I think in the social sciences and the humanities, we're very comfortable with things being kind of gray and fuzzy sometimes. Do you think that that, that this kind of, now elite people are, are trained in the sciences because that, you know, since the, since the 40s and 50s, that that then gives people jobs. Um, that, that that has any bearing on, on what you're talking about in this rise of political Islam? Um, very interesting what uh, you said, and it gives me the opportunity to deepen my, uh, my, uh, my thought uh, on this uh, aspect. So, in the middle of uh, the 18th century, there was someone from the Arabian Peninsula who stood up and said, any knowledge that is not stemming from the Quran is illicit. It was Muhammad Abdul. He is a contemporary of Newton and Kant. Fortunately, 100 years later, came Muhammad Abdul in Egypt. And he said, no, 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 no. It's not true. Uh, uh, even though it's not coming from the Quran, since God endowed us, endowed men and women with reason, science is coming from reason and blessed by God and blessed by the Quran. And since then, Muhammad Abdul avoided Muslim societies a catastrophe. Uh, but Muhammad Abdul uh, didn't finish the job. Mohammed Abdul uh, gave legitimacy to, let's say, I am uh, uh, going fast, gave legitimacy to uh, Galileo, but he didn't implement, he didn't implement a reform of theology. So we are today in Muslim societies in a bizarre situation. We are Galilean and at the same time Aristotelian. So Galilean in the scientific uh, field and Aristotelian or Platonician in the humanities. And it's the biggest contradiction experience or uh, that Muslim societies are uh, facing uh, today. Now about you, the, 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 the the beginning of your question, uh, how political Islam is a way of secularization. <clears throat> you know, history progressing through contradictions. And uh, political Islam, as I said, and I, I told you that I, would, I will elaborate more if I am asked to, is a contradictory product of 
and modernity. Why it is? Uh, because people who who support political Islam, they say, "Are you right? It's a product of modernity." And people who are against the Islamists, they say, "Why? Why? In which way they are uh, modern? They are not modern." Well, they, it's, there is a contradiction in their. Uh, and Muslim societies will will move on through these contradictions. The contradiction lies in the fact that political Islam brings the masses to be involved in politics. And it's modern. And this idea, I read it in Amma Arad, essay on revolution. It's only in modernity that the masses are involved in politics. It started with the American and French Revolution. So, political Islam is a modern movement as far as it brings the masses to ask about the state and the way of the state is ruled. But, with the idea that sovereignty belongs to God, it's a conservative movement. It's a conservative ideology. And this aspect of conservative ideology prevents political Islam or uh, Islamist parties <coughs> to be consistent with the first aspect that they are modern. And they, 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 they evolve through this contradiction. And they now they realize that this uh, slogan Hakamil Hakimiya Allah, sovereignty belongs to God, it's, it's absurd. And now they are going back to what Abdu, Muhammad Abdu said about, about that. Muhammad Abdu said, uh, uh, it's true that sovereignty belongs to God, but we need to understand what is sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is the master of the universe. And Muhammad Abdu adds, sovereignty belongs to God, and siyada belongs to the people. al Allah was siyada al-shab. And the, 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 the concept of sovereignty, that is a modern concept of political philosophy, uh, uh, find its way through a new world uh, forged by Muhammad Abdu. And now many Islamists, like uh, like uh, the Wasat Party, like Mahda, uh, Rashid Ghanoushi, uh, even in Algeria with Ali Ibn Hajj, they are talking of Siyad al -Shah. So, Siyad Sayyid, Sayyid is... Uh, how, how can we translate Sayyid? Sidi, Sidi, the law. How, how can we translate Sidi? Sidi Muhammad. Huh? Because you, you, you have been influenced by modern culture stemming from Abdul. But before <laughs> the content, you know, the, 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 the semantic content of words change. Siyada uh, uh, is a new uh, since, uh, as a sovereignty is a new since uh, Muhammad Abdul. But anyway, uh, 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 we see an evolution of. Uh, uh, 
Islam to adjust to uh, uh, history? Well, uh, following on the first question, I'm Foreign Service graduate 59, 44 years in government, international trade. And uh, my question to you is, you mentioned there is no perfect life on Earth, and therefore this is this evolution is to make a better place on Earth or life. So my question to you is, can you define what that might be? I will, <coughs> and it, it it gives me the opportunity to answer a part of the question of Russia I didn't answer. We have a tendency to forget that uh, Sufism played a huge role in structuring Muslim culture. And the Sufi, the, the, they were dreaming of living on earth as if they were in the beyond already. So they were dreaming to they were dreaming of uh, erasing the, the border between the life, the, the worldly life, and the, the beyond, the eternity. And it, it goes back to the Platonician, Platonician paradigm. Because Sufism, uh, of course, it has its source in uh, uh, Abrahamic monotheism, uh, but it has been strengthened philosophically by the philosophy of Plato and later Plotinus. Is why we 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 say that Muslim culture is under the, still now under the influence of Neoplatonician uh, uh, culture. So. Uh, Sufism declined with the sociological, sociological change underwent by uh, Western societies. But by declining, it created a void. A void. And this void was filled up by political Islam. And political Islam, in, the, in some way, is secularizing. Uh, secularizing uh, Sufism. Because political Islam is not saying that I am trying to live with the angels and uh, I am trying to live to, 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 get, to get in touch with God or the angels or the prophet. No, the political Islam, they are not saying that. They are saying that if we implement the true Quran, we will have a perfect life on earth. In this way, I am saying that it's a kind, it's a kind of secularization of Sufism. Um, so I'm sort of coming to this from purely Algerian perspective. Uh, and I guess my question is, if we're saying that Sufism declined, well, like political Islam is uh, the secularization of Sufism, what, what can we say for the Algerian government promoting Sufi orders now and uh, you know, just in general in society, people like my family, like we're rebuilding our like my great grandfather's kubba and stuff. So what is it? Where are we going for it? If we're, it looks like we're going back to Sufism in popular society and in politics. 
No, uh, Muslim societies uh, are not going back to Sufism. It's too late. And Sufism is over. But, and it's it, interesting what you said. The Arian government, but also the Moroccan government, and other Arab governments are trying to revive Sufism to fight political Islam, to delegitimize political Islam. It's because political Islam is a threat for this region. And what is, what is ironic is that this government, stemming from a radical Arab nationalism that, uh, that was supposed to modernize culture, to modernize societies, now they, they want to go back to the traditional society, to the 18th and 19th century. But it's, it's not possible. Sufism is, is, I mean, there is some places where there is still uh, the sense, the cult of sense, but the majority, because the majority of uh, the, the population now in Algeria, Morocco, and Egypt, they are living in cities, in big cities. In, in big cities. And in big cities, uh, the, 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 the problems are different that of traditional, traditional uh, past uh, cities. Thank <laughs> you.